Hey, everybody, Kevin Grossman here, president of Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards. We want you to join us for our annual Candy Awards virtual conference, Sustaining the Candy Continuity, on November 17th and 18th, where we'll celebrate improving recruiting, hiring, and the candidate experience, and, of course, the 2021 Candy Award winners. To learn more and register, go to thetalentboard.org. Now enjoy the podcast. We have seen HR evolve tremendously over the years. I think obviously COVID, everywhere you look when you talk HR is around COVID, right? How have organizations responded to people needs, to business needs, to client needs? So it was no surprise when looking at, you know, some of the results to see some of the employee concerns with regards to engagement, productivity. Is HR having that opportunity to engage with their talent through a virtual setting? You're listening to the Candy Shop Talk podcast brought to you by Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards Benchmark Research and hosted by Kevin W. Grossman. Talent Board is the first nonprofit research organization focused on elevating and promoting a quality candidate experience. The Candy Shop Talk podcast welcomes Anthony Smith, Chief HR, Global Mobility and Administrative Officer from Elements Global Services, providing global employer of record solutions and more. Listen in on how improving candidate experience impacts recruiting and the business bottom line. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. You are the Chief HR, Global Mobility, and Administration Officer for Elements Global Services. So before we dive in to the rest of this show, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do today and what all that means. Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, thank you for having me. Truly a pleasure to be here with you today. And just, as always, looking forward to a fascinating dialogue. Anytime you get to talk HR, uh, you always know you're in for a treat. So I appreciate that. Yeah, that's a really long title and we need to work on shortening that. But yes, essentially Chief HR Officer, right? And uh, here with Elements Global Services, and, and we have the unique and amazing opportunity to help companies very quickly globally expand into new markets by taking care of their HR and talent solutions. So we operate under a direct employer model where we're able to help our, our client employees be uh, employed in, in various locations around the world and helping drive HR compliance and policy making. Fantastic and uh, incredible world to live in, especially today as you see the world continue to get smaller and smaller and smaller when it comes to identifying and engaging with talent. So it's uh, it's been truly an amazing opportunity to work here at Elements Global Services. And uh, today I'm leading all of our internal internal people and culture strategy. I'm leading the HR operations in which we provide to our clients, uh, along with our global benefit solutions for our clients in the uh, global mobility services in which we provide to our clients. Excellent. Thank you very much for, for out, outlining that. So managing global compliance in HR is, is, is a pretty easy task, right? Oh, yeah, it's, it's no problem. It's uh, you not know, complex you, at all. There's no complexity. <laughs> don't have to worry about in, you know, in-country specificity, all that good stuff, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, listen, what caught my eye, Anthony, and I appreciate you being on the show, was that some of your team reached out and, and your organization had, had done this interesting recent research 
project that all, that first included analyzing Google search trends to explore what kinds of HR related questions that people were frequently searching on or researching and what pain points the searches implicated in the modern workplace today. And that was the first thing that caught my eye. But then they also surveyed a thousand full-time employees that were, you know, working across a dozen industries and, and the research that we do as well on the candidate experience side is across companies big and small across industries too. And then to just to understand those experiences with HR management, concerns um, about employers. I mean, I've seen similar things over the years, but there were some interesting things that kind of caught my eye. But from your big picture perspective, what were some of the key takeaways that you and, and the team found that fascinated you as well? We have seen HR evolve tremendously over the years. I think obviously COVID, everywhere you look when you talk HR is around COVID, right? How have organizations responded to people needs, to business needs, to clients? needs. So it was no surprise when looking at, you know, some of the results to see, you know, some of the employee concerns with regards to engagement, productivity. Is HR having that opportunity to engage with their talent through a virtual setting? Now, I, I think the fascinating part, and I hate to use the word fascinating in COVID in the same sentence, but the fascinating part where HR truly had the opportunity to reinvent ourselves during this time. I mean, we've talked so much about the future of work. It's almost like another buzzword, right? It's like five years ago, every company wanted to be agile, but what is agile, right? Future of work is everything is future of work, future of work, future of work, but what is the context behind it? COVID absolutely accelerated. When we talked about remote workforce, that is future of work. And all of a sudden we were thrusted right into that. Now, a lot of companies just weren't prepared yet for that. Uh, and a lot of companies were very well prepared for it. But when you look at some of the responses that came through in the survey, it was really looking at obviously where were companies not prepared to handle this pandemic and, and really to lead their people strategy out of it. I talk with, again, our focus is is more on the 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 recruiting and hiring side but is even retention though too which is again a lot of times is not under the purview of, of talent acquisition that, that moves under talent management and hr but you know it is the anybody who's been in recruiting and hiring for the past 15 to 20 plus years in our candy community across again you know to large complex organizations to even smaller mid-size etc they've never seen where we're at before this is We've never been here before in the world. I mean, last year was enough of a disruptive change, right? I mean, yes, we went from, what was it, 10, 15% remote workforce to 40 to 50%. I mean, again, I'm just shooting numbers from the hip. And then pivoting to virtual environments for screening, interviewing, onboarding new employees. I mean, it is in, in, in a global format. I mean, and but today though, with frenetic ramping of hiring and we just have, we've never been here before. But one of the things that, that caught my eye in the research that your team did was that they found that 83% of workers say that they trust their HR manager and or department, which I thought was interesting. I thought that was was high, but I always, again, we measure candidate experience always like when it's positive, <laughs> at least on a positive end. But then they also found that, you know, entry level women are the least likely to say that they trust HR and to protect their interests and versus everybody else. And that was a difference between 68% to 79%. But the question that I have, and again, there's been so much disruption, so many women left 
the workforce last year, right? We know that they left to help take care of the families and COVID and there was furloughs and layoffs and the list goes on. But I mean, how do you think that what you found intersects with this, what was experienced in the pandemic, just based on your experience and the work that you do, again, with these global organizations? I always am infamous, by the way, Andy, of asking like eight part questions at once. So just take a, take a deep breath. So do you find any kind of interrelation there? And also what should business leaders and HR, again, who is in the leadership team, what do we do to improve this? Whether it's women or people of color or other or marginalized groups that really have the gaps have really shown this past year. I know that's a lot, but you know, tell me what you think. Yeah, let's run through it, right? Part of the perfectionist in me is saying 83 is a good number, but what about the 17, right? And 17 is also quite a big number, right? I mean, if you look at HR, and I've always treated it with my team, right? We need to, one, first and foremost, we need to think people, but we also need to think business, right? We need to be business advisors through the people strategy. But we have to, within HR, be setting the bar of the example across the entire organization. If we in HR are not following our own advice and wisdom and guidance uh, internally, then how can we ever expect to lead it within the business? So when I hear 17%, uh, to be very honest, it makes me sad. It makes me a bit disappointed, right? Because we, we have to hold ourselves to higher standards. Now, you're right. We did see a lot of our female colleague possibly continue to work from home, whether it's to take care of family and so forth. But you also see a lot of tremendous initiatives that companies are taking to help balance gender equality or gender pay and so forth. Now, here's the brunt answer of the, of, of the question. These inequalities exist. So I'm not surprised when you say, or when the survey results come back and say that entry-level women may be least likely because it's us that in HR is responsible for fixing these issues, right? So first and foremost, we need to be, for those companies that are, and, and we here at Elements are incredibly strong on this, we are driving gender pay equality, right? And it could break down into very simple steps, right? Now here in the US, uh, in many states, it's illegal to ask your candidates on what do you currently make? right? Because what does that do? It leads to continuing gender pay equality. We have taken as a global practice, we do not ask whether it is male or female candidates, what is your current salary? Because you're only setting up to continue that gap, right? We say, what are your expectations? And of course, we internally and externally benchmark, what is that compensation? And that is what we offer to our candidates. So I think one, we have to, within HR, become a little bit more vocal in what we're doing to help all of our diverse talents understand what are the initiatives uh, that were taking place where they can trust us and they can trust that HR is taking a proactive approach to solving these different inequalities. Yeah, I love hearing that. But you know, don't you think though that it's, yes, that's the case. And I've been in the, I'll call HR recruiting industry now for 22 years, but it's also, a, it's a leadership issue too, right? I mean, again, I, I'm not saying HR is part of, the leadership team, it should be, it always it always should be, right? Because one of the other things that was found in this research that was done was two thirds of the workers said that they've neglected to report something to HR because they didn't think that HR would fix the issue. Again, this is kind of Groundhog Day. I've heard this before, unfortunately, over the years, right? And the most frequently cited problems were having too much work, personal clash, personality clashes and bullying, which have been a strong pro a proponent of, of addressing that in, in the workplace. 
So what does HR need to do, especially if that's something that's inherent in the leadership team, it's propagated by the leadership team and then echo HR because, right, because HR is representative of the individual employees at the organization, but they also represent the interests of the business too. That's kind of an existential conundrum sometimes, <laughs> right? Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, first and foremost, you're right. This isn't an HR topic. It's a talent topic. And talent topics is owned at every level of the organization, whether you're an executive or you're entry level. So you're right. I think we as HR, it, it, we need to continue to work with business leaders and helping them understand that, yes, equal and fair pay does have a direct correlation to business performance. If you can get your organization to understand and engage that diversity is a competitive advantage to your organization, then you will win. But if it's an HR agenda that's being pushed in, you're never going to get the results that you want. Now, you just threw out something that I think is incredibly powerful. When you say two-thirds of workers neglected to report something to HR, we have to create an environment where we demonstrate our door is always open, right? And sometimes it's creating the technology to allow those channels to be opened. How are we using the communication platforms within your organization? Do you have anonymous channels where people can report issues where they don't feel like they would be retaliated against for reporting something, whether it's whistleblowing or whatever it may be, right? So we in HR, we have to do a much, much better job at creating that opportunity where people feel that they can come in a fair way, not be judged or have any uh, biases towards them based on any complaints. And that they're heard. I mean, even on an anonymous level, they need to have a safe environment and that they're heard. And I think that is something that unfortunately sometimes can be driven the wrong way with the leadership team and with toxicity in the culture and et cetera. But one of the things that what was interesting last year in our the research we capture every year, which again is benchmarking candidate experience and across job types. And one of the things that we saw last year was that because the pandemic really just dramatically changed everything. And I know we've been talking about this for a long time. Everybody's tired of the pandemic and I get all that. We're all tired of it, but it continues to, to dynamically change everything. It's, we're not done yet by any stretch. Of the, and companies are still trying to figure out because now I just referenced a little bit earlier, we have, you know, employees are quitting and candidates are being, for those who can and can leverage it, they're being more choosy about what kinds of flexibility, what's in it for me at your organization today. And yes, job growth is there. I mean, we just saw the July jobs report, right? It was 900, almost 950,000 jobs in, in, in the US. And I know a lot of the global complex organizations that are in our candy community that we work with, they've got pretty big goal hiring goals, but they're going to struggle hitting those. But what with the exception, though, of progressive companies that understand the inherent, the inherent nature of recruiting and hiring, and you, compensation was part of it, right? That that the the transparency around pay gaps and and trying to rectify those. But it's tough right now. It's a tough place for a lot of these. And if if leadership doesn't, it'll only be on my soapbox for a minute. I promise. And then I'll come back. But if if they don't really understand how recruiting and hiring and retention is supposed to work at their organizations, then if if a recruiter is carrying a hundred recs, that's just not realistic to provide a quality experience for anybody, a recruiter as well as the candidate either. Wouldn't you don't you don't you agree with that? There's got to be more healthy breathing going on, even when you're trying to frantically hire. 5,000 people or whatever that is. Yeah, it's always going to have that three-pronged triangle, right? The most successful recruitment strategies or organizations that I have seen has always nailed two of three. Speed, quality, cost, right? 
those are typically your three that you always got to look at, right? If you're going fast on speed, you may be jeopardizing quality, right? And if you have high quantity, you could be jeopardizing quality, right? Now, I think what's incredibly interesting, and this was, by the way, we just got earlier last week our candidate survey results back on our hiring practices, which I'm always fascinated to see, right? I want to know what type of experience is our candidates going through? Because ultimately, when you look at NPS, right, so, so many companies are focused on their NPS scores, right? But they have to understand NPS scores also relates to what is your talent saying about your company in the industry? And what are your candidates saying about your company? And one of the biggest challenges that we've seen, and, and this is a great challenge because of COVID, people are hiring in locations where maybe they never hired before because they have the ability to go out and reach talent in new markets. But with that, there is a tremendous opportunity to go out and retrain your managers very simply on what questions can you ask, what questions can't you ask. Having lived in Europe for several years, I can tell you it's a very different interview style. But if you take that style and you're interviewing an American candidate, it can create a very poor experience. And we have to very well train our managers in understanding the culture in which you are interviewing to how to create a very positive candidate experience. Yeah, and that's really important, by the way. That's extremely important because there are research is still pretty much on the macro side. We, I mean, we do focus on regional differences too and MIA, APAC, Latin America, as well as North America, but they're definitely in country cultural considerations that have to be taken into an account. If you're going to be hiring for your organization in those particular locations, to, that makes a big difference. I want to shift gears a little bit though, because another thing that... <laughs> And I'm not laughing because it's funny, but we're talking a lot about flexibility, right? For your employees of providing hybrid work, you know, workplaces. If again, for those, because not everybody can work remote. We talk about this a lot, but the reality is not everybody can work remotely. But for those who can leverage it though, flexibility is super important. And then, you know, now we have companies talking about going to four day work weeks. And I know in the, in California, it was just in the legislature there just, there was something that a bill that was is being put together to make that into law, but part of your the research that you did too showed that 58% of men and only 44% of women say that their employer would be disturbed about how little they're actually work, working. And I'm laughing at that because I'm like, wow, I mean, in the world of remote work, and, and I've been working remotely for over 10 years and everything that I've done, including running this organization now, that's not very reassuring, right? When it comes to productivity. <laughs> it, I mean, I don't know. I just found like... So do we, but do we really need, because there's always this, and I don't want to open up a can of worms debate on this either, but I mean, do we need to really be monitoring productivity? It just seems like that just kind of threw me a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. The optimist in me is saying, wow, they have become really efficient in what they do. Uh, how can we get them to know who Elements Global Services is and hire them, right? But the reality is maybe they're not being efficient, right? Don't get me wrong. COVID has taught us to rely on technology to drive scalability tremendously. So again, some of that statistic could be simply that individuals are finding new ways of getting work done and producing the same level of output. And that's fantastic. That's what we want, right? When we talk about work life balance and so forth. But let's look at it through the other scale. Let's look at it through the other perspective of maybe people are, are using the opportunity of working from home to work less and, and perhaps maybe be less value creation. If that's the case, do we need productivity monitoring software? This is a really fine line that we're balancing right here, right? I mean, I've seen everything from AI analytics to use through your camera to measure your body language and, and using that analytics to report to your manager if this person's engaged or under-engaged and then 
and you're using it. I mean, and that to me, in my opinion, at this state, that's too far. If we want to have our people believe that we trust them. And to me, I, we always operate on the spirit of we're first going to operate in a, an environment of trust, right? And then we can assess as we go. But if we want to show our people that we trust them, we value them, we engage them, we are treating them like adults and we are driving accountability, what completely counterbalances that is when we say, ah, but we're going to have a technology that's going to monitor you and making sure that you're being productive, right? At the end of the day, let's just have very clear, concise, and direct, honest conversations. Let's ensure that we have feedback loops set in place. We're okay. We're doing quarterly sprints. At the end of the quarterly sprints, we're going to review the progress. We're going to see where we may be underachieve, where did we overachieve, and let's address it. But to me, by implementing that type of technology, you're taking the human aspect of people leadership away. So for me, I don't think we're there yet. I think we just need to continue to coach our organizations on how to give feedback sessions and how to make sure that we're setting up goals, measuring sprints, and then uh, achieving. Completely concur. I would never work for a company that did that, that monitored my every move. And I mean, I just think that I, I got close to it. There was a software company years ago that was doing some, well, logging in through the VPN and checking sessions. That was a little bit much to me. So I, I agree. I don't think, I think that continuous performance feedback coaching, all those things are important. And again, inspiring, much less leading a culture of trust in the organization too, regardless of size. And right. I agree. And you know, something, so we, not only did we get candidate feedback, but we also just completed our annual employee engagement survey. And one of our higher scoring feedback questions was on work-life balance within the organization, which I was incredibly happy to see. Because if you look at elements, we have grown tremendously in the last 12 months, tremendously high rates. Yet we've been able to do it where our people still feel like they have this balance between their work and their personal life, especially working from home because COVID is indicating everything the opposite. So again, are they perhaps working less? I hope so. Are they finding te- ways to utilize technology and become more scalable? I hope so as well. Well, I can tell you that again, on the recruiting and hiring front, recruiting technologies aren't new. We've had applicant tracking systems for over two decades and lots of technology in between, but companies this in the in this last year have been leaning on their recruiting technologies and especially with the maturation of AI and machine learning and, and from sourcing to screening even interview scheduling I mean even to the point of making offers for high volume hiring and companies had to depend on a lot more because they first they went into constriction mode they lost a lot of their recruiting team and then they hired a lot of them back now that they're frenetically hiring but depending on again any companies of hiring volume and scale those technologies have to be they have to work for you they have to help you make better decisions whether it's again the recruiting and hiring part or are on the retention part and the, and the management on the other end one of the things that and, and I'm sure you know this whether it's your candidate experience own feedback you just looked at and collected as well as your employee engagement we know every year that you know experience is a 24 7 endeavor everything that happens and impacts my perception of fairness as an employee as a candidate and it can change quite dramatically (laughs) and quite quickly that's why it's important to monitor this information because it can impact whether or not they decide to stay or go to ever apply again at another for another position to refer others to your organization and if you're a consumer-based business to make purchases or influence them or just have brand affinity in general all of those things so it's great to hear that you're you're measuring that internally too at, at your 
organization, Anthony. A couple more questions as we round out this podcast, and I really enjoyed the conversation so far. Speaking of what we see every year, that there's always things that are impacting the business that impact then in turn your recruiting, your hiring, your retention, your employee experience, your talent management. And there, I mean, for a, for example, who plans for a pandemic? That's number one. And I mean, not even the CDC, I mean, maybe those organizations do world health organization, et cetera, but not us. And not only that, then you have leadership changes on your own in your own organization. You have changes on your HR and recruiting team. You have M&A activity that you're part of. You are launching new products and services. One moment you're freezing hiring, the next moment you're surge hiring. But And what we find every year, it's hard to sustain a quality candidate and employee experience. It's not easy. It can be done, but there's stuff that's always impacting. So anyway, long story short, based on what you've learned today in your tenure and working in HR and at this organization today, how do you and how would you recommend approaching sustaining improvements over time and, and a quality experience from leadership, but even down to frontline employees? I mean, what are some things that you do at your organization? There's so many different facets to the answer to that question, right? If I look at just purely from a recruitment standpoint, one, you have to nail down the basics. If you're not showing up on time, well-prepared for the interview, asking the right questions, if you're not creating a 60-minute conversation where you are allowing your candidate to showcase their strengths, they're going to walk away dissatisfied, right? So if you're not creating that environment, you need to be. Those are basic things, right, that you have to do. Now, you're right. Nobody anticipated COVID was going to take us, but I, I think one of the biggest things that we as organizations have to do is we have to create agile organizations or nimble organizations. Now, here in Elements, we gift every one of our employees an unlimited Coursera license to be able to continuously reskill. And what we've done is we've built into the onboarding program the certain skills, behaviors, and competencies that we value within our organization that we reward. Critical problem solving, adaptability, design thinking with regards to understanding true client needs and, and bringing that problem solving approach. So for me, it's how are we as HR leaders creating our organization to be equipped to handle this continuous change. It's always going to be here. Today it's COVID. Tomorrow it's going to be something else. That is for sure. What are you doing in your organization to equip your people? That's the only constant, right? What's that phrase? The only constant? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The only constant is change. Yeah, that's for sure. That it's it. And I think that you, I tell you, two decades ago, if you were to tell me that you would be okay with ambiguity, I would go... <laughs> You're crazy, but we we have to yeah we have to constantly and nobody's going to do it for us even though or even if you love the organization that you work for and they give you the tools and resources to constantly improve you still have to be the one to do it you have to own it regardless of what you do in the world and life all right enough of that soapbox don't you think yeah I, the one last thing I'll say you just hit a keyword ambiguity right and I'll I'll never forget about a year ago we were going through our talent assessment methodologies and so forth. And one of the big things that came up with ambiguity, and, and, and at first we were trying to look at, okay, what questions can we test around ambiguity? What does it mean, right? What are positive indicators when we hear candidate responses? What are negative indicators? And at first we started going down the road with comfort with ambiguity right? How comfortable are they? But then we realize, well, nobody's, not nobody, but most people are not comfortable with ambiguity. So that's not what we want to assess. It's the ability to deal with ambiguity. It's the ability to take decision during ambiguous moments. That's what we want to assess. And that's what we want to look for. So I think if COVID has taught us anything, look, there's ambiguity. How are we dealing with it? How are we taking decision with it? 
Anthony, thank you. You you are that's the underscore part because it, it is it's how we actually uh, deal with it individually as teams as organizations. That's what's key. You're right. That's a that's a really really good point. So listen, the last thing I like to ask all my guests because because we're always working all the time, Anthony. Work work work. It's always work, and I love talking shop. That's the that's why it's the name of the podcast. I think it's 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 great. But then what else does Anthony like to do besides work? Yeah. Well, lots. No, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. This is always the fun part of the dialogue, right? Well, here, look, I have three. I have an amazing wife at home, working at home. Actually, she did the same thing with COVID impacted her and she's working remote. Three young children. And I can tell you growing up in the United States with the with the name Anthony Smith, I was not going to do that to my children to give them the most common names in the United States. So our youngest daughter, London Olivia, our middle child, Autumn Elizabeth. Now my son does have my namesake and I'm sorry for that. I, he's going to have to deal with that whole Anthony Smith. Smith, but um, a lot of time is just look. We we love outdoors. We love being together. I love tech. So anything blockchain, AI, RPA, anything focused there, that's where I spend most of my mornings just reading on tech. How can we continue to join these forces of human capability and technology together to create a true talent strategy? Talent strategy is both tech strategy and human strategy. But family, sports, that's where my world revolves and um, and continuing to grow Elements Global Services. Oh, right on. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, we have two two daughters and that, and I'm getting ready to coach Rex again it's been it's been a couple of years because we didn't do it last year because of the covid so but that'll be a lot of fun my youngest is gonna play and my oldest is gonna actually help assist on the team so looking forward to doing that it was fun watching watching some of the the women's soccer and during the olympics and that's just those are some amazing players man Oh, it's amazing. Well, like I said, the last four years, we've lived in Barcelona. So right now we're mourning the loss of Lionel Messi going over to possibly PSG. So yeah, soccer or football is, is big in our family. That's for yeah, sure. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Very nice. And what a lovely place to live too. That's great. Anthony, thank you so much for being on uh, the Candy Shop Talk podcast. And maybe one of these days we might be able to meet in person. That would be a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Candy Shop Talk podcast. For more information about Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards and Benchmark Research, visit www.thetalentboard.org.